0: Incline your ear and come to me, listen, so that you may live. A powerful invitation through the words now contained in the book of the prophet Isaiah, one of the most treasured oracles in the Old Testament, and sometimes in Christian circles referred to as the fifth gospel. Yet the book of Isaiah is now recognized by most scholars to be the work of other unknown writers living at least a century after Isaiah ben Amos, who gave us chapters 1 to 39 before the exile and gave his name to the whole book. Our passage is part of what is often known as Second Isaiah, being chapters 40 to 55 and written in Babylon during the exile. It's the section that contains the four servant songs, which the church has found so influential to interpret the life and the work of Jesus. And it closes with this incredible promise of an everlasting covenant born out of God's steadfast love, not just for his chosen people, but for nations they don't even know. And just as the rain comes to water the earth, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so will God's word, his creative intention, accomplish the purpose for which God sends it. And that continued fertility, that fecundity of new growth, bursting out again and again in nature and in culture, will be an everlasting sign for those with eyes to see. so full of such diverse and compelling images that challenge the imagination and uplift the spirit that even the trees of the field will clap their hands and mountains, the whole creation, will sing for joy. The widely esteemed Old Testament scholar Walter Brueggemann has described the overarching unity of the whole narrative as a continued meditation on the destiny of Jerusalem, if not, the whole of creation, or so it seems to me. And it's from the third section of this book that Jesus drew the manifesto for his mission when he read from the scroll in the Nazareth synagogue. But in our passage from Matthew, he's quoting from Isaiah chapter 6, words from Isaiah's vision in the temple. Like the people of Isaiah's time, those in Jesus' day had heard the teaching of the rabbis, Most knew the law and the prophets by heart, but they seem to have had as little meaning for them as, say, a familiar nursery might have in our day. Or as words which once would have been regarded as blasphemous or at least a coarse expletive have now become so devoid of their original meaning as to become meaningless filler words just for emphasis. But let's go back to our passage from Matthew. It starts with this delightful scene of Jesus relaxing on the beach, watching the fishermen clean their nets. And before long, a crowd begins to gather, and maybe a few folk stop to talk to ask him questions. Maybe some of the folk came to buy fish. Maybe some of the crowd from the house where he had been teaching earlier in the day. If you've sat on the beach at Days Bay or Oriental Parade or w- walked along uh, the, the Oriental Parade and stopped for a chat, um, you can always imagine yourself, at least easily imagine yourself, in this sort of scene. Anyway, as the crowds began to grow, Jesus realized that it would be better, he'd be better heard if he could um, climb into one of the fishing boats pulled up on the shore so he asks one of the men to push his boat off the shore a little and Jesus settles himself in the bow and begins to speak listen he says and he starts telling them a little story of a rural scene they all know well a sower went out to sow and we also know it well very well we've heard dozens of sermons about it but what we heard today from Matthew's Gospel, was not the reading chosen by the lectionary writers, the parable of the sower and the later explanation given to the disciples, but the bit in between, the bit that's left out by those who compile the lectionary. I was so intrigued by the first few lines of the bit left out that I decided to reflect more deeply on the disciples' question, which by the way wasn't what does the story of the sower mean? but do you speak to them in parables? Why not some good, straight, down-to-earth teaching like John the Baptist? Why do you tell them stories? Matthew records that after getting into the boat, Jesus told the gathered listeners many things, but always in parables. Many things, many parables, but Matthew only records one. What point is Matthew trying to make? So many questions about such a well-known story. At first glance, by quoting that familiar passage from Isaiah, it sounds as though Jesus is suggesting that those in the crowds that gather around have lost the capacity to understand good teaching. So what's the point? But that's so out of step with other pictures we have of Jesus. Each of the first three gospel writers note occasions when Jesus was moved by compassion. In the next chapter of Matthew, when Jesus had gone by boat to a solitary place for some peace and quiet, yet the crowds followed him on foot, he had compassion on them. In Mark again, he saw the crowds and had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And in Luke, when he saw a widow whose only son and source of livelihood had just died, his heart went out to her. Don't cry, he said. And he raised the son and gave him back to his mother. These are just random examples of the consistent compassion which infuses so many of the stories of Jesus' teaching and healing ministry. Rather than repeat teaching they'd heard from their childhood, Jesus tells simple stories, memorable stories, Stories drawn from everyday life they knew so well. Stories that contain the message he wishes to convey. His stories are like the seed in the parable which Matthew uses to illustrate the point. Unlike other rabbis who saved their deepest teaching for the best of the best of their disciples, Jesus casts his life-bearing parable seeds far and wide. You see, the important point that the story uh, about a story is that it grabs your attention. It speaks to your imagination, leads you to insights you hadn't seen before. Isn't that why we love to hear stories drawn from life, real or imagined? They sit with us and they stay with us and continue to bear fruit in our thinking. A commentator following a similar line said this, The focus of the parable of the sower could be on those who are good soil, but it's far more powerful to focus on God as so hopefully in love with all of us that God extravagantly sows seeds everywhere behind nightclub dumpsters, in smelly landfills, on plastic-strewn seashores, wherever there might be someone passing by. Our hope is in such a God who refuses to be limited to sowing where the investment possibilities are most promising. I want to repeat that. Our hope is in such a God who refuses to be limited to sowing where the investment possibilities are most promising. Jesus asks us always to keep in mind Luke's trilogy of redemption, the lost sheep, the lost coin the lost son, not from the perspective of the one who was lost, but to be the sower or the Samaritan or even the waiting father and to live out in our own context that deep compassion Jesus had for the least and the lost and the last and the lonely. Come, said Isaiah, come to the waters you who are thirsty. Listen, so you may live. And Jesus says that the reason he speaks in parables is because although they don't see, they don't perceive, and although they don't, is because although they see, they don't perceive, and although they hear, they don't understand. As St. Francis said, preach the gospel at all times, and if necessary, use words. And the young woman in the psychiatric ward said to the church visitor don't tell me God loves me you show me that you love me and I'll make up my own mind about God. In a day when the ordinary stresses and strains of life are multiplied by an uncontainable and unpredictable virus and no one really knows what the future might hold and when it's increasingly difficult to discern reliable news from fake news even reliable pictures from CGI. It would be very easy to succumb to the picture painted by the prophets of doom. It's just at those times we can take hope and comfort from the word of God through Isaiah. My word shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and succeed in the thing to which I sent it. So look for the buds of hope, the signs of the presence of the Spirit at work in the world. Trust the truths you've based your life on and continue to tell the stories of faith, but in words and images this generation can hear and understand.